0: And I'm so excited for this series. I've been planning on this series, and I've been reading and studying and getting prepared for this series since last fall because of the power of Jesus to give us the answers that we're looking for in life. So this series is called Answers, and kind of, I guess, the, the subheading, the question that led to the series is, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Let me ask you that question. What do you do when you don't know what to do? I've been working on this series for nearly six months, but just this week I started kind of digging into some some popular psychology to answer that question. What do you do when you don't know what to do? I started looking for some life coaches. I started looking for some websites and some blogs and some articles related to this question, um, and I didn't learn a lot about anything when I need to know something. Certified coach uh, Martha Pasternak wrote a blog titled, What Do You Do When You Don't Know What To Do? And she said three things that will help you every time. The three things ask young people what they think. Because they will probably think something different than you. Um, after you do that, breathe. After you do that, relax. Then you're good to go. Um, I read that and thought, I would fire her. If I had paid her to give me that advice, I would make her refund the money. From a popular website that teaches you how to think called Thought Catalog and how to process thoughts when you don't know what to think they said here's what to do when you don't know what to do this is all real life advice number one lay down on the floor number two make a list number three write a letter to yourself then number four do some cleaning and then number five treat yourself to a cupcake so I tried to kind of do this in reverse order I ate a cupcake then I had to clean up after myself and I wrote a letter to myself telling myself how fat I was and I needed to lose weight and started to make a list of how I could do that. And then I just got tired and laid down on the floor. And I thought, you know, that didn't really, it didn't really help. I found a website called Tiny Buddha and asked, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And it answered, whenever the time is right, it will be the right time. I said, Danielle, you got to hear what Tiny Buddha said. And she said, that sounds like Donald Trump. Um, whenever the time is right, it'll be the right time. I wanted to ask Tiny Buddha what Big Buddha would say. Like, that that didn't make sense. But almost everything I read talked about decisions and how to make decisions when you don't know what to do. But following Jesus is not a decision. It's a direction. It's a journey. And as we get into this series, we're not looking for answers just to questions that will help us make decisions. We're looking for direction in life. Because many of you last week made a decision to follow Jesus. But that decision is a direction. It's living in a direction that is following Jesus. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John 2 today. We're going to be in the book of John for the rest of this series the next today in the next six weeks. And pull out your sermon notes so that you can take notes and follow along today. But what we're going to learn in John chapter 2 is we try to answer questions. We're going to learn that questions don't always have black and white answers. We're going to learn as we as we kind of dig into the book of John to try to answer questions, we're going to learn that not every question even has A great answer, yet every question is offered an answer through Jesus. But what we're going to find the next seven weeks is this thought of sometimes there are questions that don't have answers because they're supernatural questions with supernatural answers only found in Jesus. As you're taking notes and turning to John chapter 2, our ushers are going to go down the aisle. If you need a Bible, just wave at them. They'll give it to you so you can read with us. But here's what we're going to find. Number one, we're going to find that in life... The natural, as we're looking for answers, we're going to find that the natural needs the supernatural. In every life, at some point, we run out of all the answers and we run out of all the options except for the supernatural. I believe that every person at some point in their life, whether it was a little kid that wanted to be Batman or a little girl that wanted to be Cinderella, at some point in every life, somebody has had the thought that there has to be more than this. We wake up, we go through the routine of life, we get up, we go to work, we take our kids to their activities, we come home, we eat dinner, we do some laundry, do a little cleaning, go to bed, and we wake up and we do it again and again and again and we think there has to be more than this. But eventually we grow older, we grow a little more cynical And I think that thought in our head changes from there has to be more than this to there might be more than this. I mean, this is all there's been for five years, 10 years, 20 years. But, you know, perhaps perhaps there really is more than this. And after we've been beat down a little more and we've lived a little more life and we've processed a little more discouragement, I think sometimes we all get to the point where we sit down at the end of the day and we think, I hope there's more than this. Like, I just hope, I hope there's more than this in life. You know, I don't often drop names and stories unless it's like a really good story with a really good point, And this one is, so I'll tell it to you. A few years ago, um, I met a pastor who lived in Atlanta as I was getting ready to start our church. He just kind of started mentoring me. Um, and, and started helping me answer questions about leadership and and being a lead pastor He he became a good friend and about a year and a half ago He was in kansas city and he called me said hey christian. I'm in kansas city for a little bit Why don't you come have dinner with me? We'll talk church. So we were talking church and as we were talking church um, you know, he kind of relayed to me and I knew a little bit Um, but he kind of started talking to me about his relationship with ned yost. He was ned's mentor and pastor um, and kind of accountability partner when they were in Atlanta for a little bit. Uh, and I thought, you know, that's pretty cool. And he said, well, after dinner, um, Ned's going to join us. Is that okay? And I was like, I guess that'll be all right. You know, I was like, <laughs> you know, can I text my friends? He's like, yeah, that, yeah that'll, that'll be all right. So after, after dinner, Ned came and some folks came and we were sitting around talking. And Ned asked me, he said, how did you meet Tim? And I just said, oh, a couple of years ago, I was going to start a church. I was looking just for lead pastors to speak into my life. I connected with him in Atlanta, and he's just kind of been helping me ever since. And I said, how did you meet him? And he said, I met Tim about the same time that I met Christ. And I said, when was that? And he said, well, you know, growing up in baseball, he said, I'd always told myself that if, that if I could win the World Series, that my life would be complete, that my life would be whole, that everything that I was pursuing would be fulfilled. You know, I, I thought if I could just win a World Series then everything would come together. And he said, I'd never won one as a player. As a coach up to that point, I'd never won one. But he said, the Braves in the mid-90s, he said, we finally won a World Series. And he said, I remember that night as one of the coaches thinking, I've finally done it. Everything in life is now complete. He said, I went to bed and I got up the next morning and nothing had changed. My life was not complete. And my life was not fulfilled. And he said, Tim was a chaplain with our team at that time. And I called him and I said, you know, I've been banking on my whole life on this event fulfilling everything, and it's happened, and I'm not fulfilled. What more is there? And he said, I met Jesus, and I begin my relationship with Jesus. Ned shares that story now everywhere he speaks about when he gives his testimony. But what he shared is the thought of Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. There's a verse that Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 3 that says this, God has made everything beautiful in its time. But he's also said eternity in the human heart so that no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. That verse basically says what Ned says. On your very best day on planet earth, you're going to get up, you're going to go to bed, and you're going to get up the next morning and need more. It's your very greatest moment. On the most beautiful day of your life, there's still going to be something in your soul that says, it. there has to be even more than this. The natural needs the supernatural. And there are a lot of people who find Jesus at the at the lowest point they've ever been in in life because there's nothing more. But there are a lot of people who find Jesus at the very top of the mountain because when they get to the top of the mountain, they realize there's nothing there that's going to last them for an eternity and there's nothing there that changes their soul. And they find Jesus. So the natural needs the supernatural. But in Jesus, number two, the natural meets the supernatural. So in life, the natural needs the supernatural. But in Jesus, the natural meets the supernatural. And that's where we begin John chapter 2. And here's what John chapter 2 says. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Now we need to stop right there and catch some of you up. Because if you're like me and you read that on the third day, you think third day, like third day from what? Like third day after Jesus rose from the dead. What is this the third day from this is the third day from an earlier story that we were talking about about seven weeks ago we started this year 2016 by saying this was going to be the year of deep and wide at our church This was going to be the year where we challenged our people to grow deeper than they had ever grown spiritually before, to walk closer to Jesus than they had ever walked with Jesus before. And we said, we believe if every individual will have the deepest spiritual year they've ever had, then as an organization, we'll have the widest impact that we have ever had in the history of our church. Because when people get close to Jesus together as a group, people begin to see Jesus in them. And we started the year with a series called Follow. We took six weeks to teach from John 1, 1 to the end of John chapter 1, and we just looked at Jesus and the many ways he asked people to follow him. He told his disciples, follow me, follow me, follow me, and they followed him, but what we found at the end of the series is every time Jesus said, follow me, usually somebody would say, where? say, follow me. Where? Jesus would say, come and see. They'd say, well, what are we going to see? And Jesus basically, at the end of John chapter 1, he said, I just promise, if you will follow me, you're going to see things that help you understand that I'm supernatural. As a matter of fact, if you follow me, every natural question and need you have in your life, if you follow me, is going to is going to come face to face with the supernatural, and those questions are going to be answered, and your needs are going to be met, and Jesus said, I want you to follow me, because by following me, you're going to see me do things that will help you believe That I am supernatural as a matter of fact the word believe is used a hundred times in the book of john At the end of the book john said I wrote the entire book so that you might believe that jesus is the son of god And that by believing in his name that you might have eternal life by that So john said i'm writing a book to help you believe that jesus is supernatural And when we look at the book of john, it really has three distinct sections There are seven "I am" statements where jesus says this is who I am We talked through these about a year and a half ago, where we asked, who do you say that Jesus is? But this series called, will the real Jesus please stand up? In the real Jesus in the book of John, seven times says, I am this. Jesus said, here's who I am. There are seven teaching narratives in the book of John where Jesus basically said, here's what I believe. And here's, um, here's who I am and here's what I teach. So Jesus said, here's who I am. Here's what I believe. But then there are seven miraculous signs where Jesus is basically saying, and here's why you should believe. So the book of John is laid out for Jesus to say, here's who I am, here's what I believe, and then the miracles are put in place, so he says you should believe that too. If, if, if I say I'm this, and I say you should do this, but I don't have anything to back it up, go live life your own way. But if I say that I'm the Messiah, and then I teach you how I want you to live your life, and I prove to you I'm supernatural... You should follow me. So the purpose of this series is going to be to study how the natural meets the supernatural in Jesus and what we can learn from these signs so that you and I can have our natural questions answered in a supernatural manner by Jesus. So we go to the first sign of the book of John, the first miracle in the book of John, John 2, after Jesus has asked his disciples to follow and told him they'll see something supernatural. Three days later, now they're in Cana. That's what it means on the third day. A wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour's not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mothers and his brothers and his disciples and they stayed there for a few more days. So here's some realities we're beginning to learn that in life, the natural needs a supernatural. On your very best day on planet Earth, you're going to get up the next day and think, I either have to repeat that or there has to be something more. In Jesus, the natural meets the supernatural. But we're going to find when you combine those things together, life in Jesus. In life with Jesus, the natural sees the supernatural. It begins to understand that there are bigger answers to the questions than what maybe you and I have been offered. Like ask young people, breathe, relax, lay down, eat a cupcake, make a list, whatever. In life with Jesus, the natural sees the supernatural. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever seen the supernatural? I want you to think about that for a minute. Have you ever seen anything supernatural in your life and experienced a moment you believe was supernatural? In 2 Kings chapter 6, we meet a man who worked for Mossad. Um, he didn't really work for Mossad, but now that I have your attention, uh, his name was Elisha he was a prophet of god and he either like had some cia spies or he had some crazy intelligence network or literally god just told him what was going to happen but in second kings chapter 6 we see that israel is fighting a war with people who lived in modern day syria today The people who were there are called ISIS. Several thousand years ago, it was a country called Aram. But the people of Syria and the people of Israel have always kind of been at battle with each other. And at this time, basically what was happening is this. The people of Aram were making plans to go attack Israel. And every time they would get to a city to attack Israel, they would find out that it was either fully defensed or all the people had left. And this happened time after time after time. So finally, the king met with his men, the king of Aram. And he basically said, there's a spy in here. Because every time we march on a city, they know we're coming. Every time we march on a city, they're, already, they're either already gone or they're already taken care of. Who's telling Israel that we're coming? Who's the spy? And one of his generals spoke up and said, yeah, King, there is no spy. There's just this Masada agent. This, there's just this guy in Israel. His name's Elisha. He's a prophet of God. And everything you try to do against Israel, he knows about. And he warns him ahead of time. And the king says, well, we've got to kill him. This isn't going to work. We need to kill him. And they said, all right, so he said, find out where he is. So they found him in a city named Dothan. It was a walled city. And the king of Aram and his army marched all night. And when Elisha and his his servant woke up the next morning, the city was completely surrounded by the army. And they were going to kill Elisha because they were sick of him destroying all their military plans. And when the servant woke up and looked outside, he saw the king of Aram and his army surrounding the village they were in. And he went in and he woke up Elisha. And he said, We're all going to die. They're here, they're right outside the city, they've come for us, we're all going to die. And Elisha says, relax. He gets his Keurig and makes himself a cup of coffee, pulls out his iPad and reads the news, scans Sports Center and the things that are really important that you need to know before you start your day. And then he told his servant, listen, we're fine. The servant said, no, we're going to die, the whole army's here. And Elisha said, no, 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 we're fine. And in 2 Kings 6, 16 and 17, Elisha prayed this prayer. He said to his servant, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha that had been dispatched from heaven to take care of the man of God. You see, Elisha saw the supernatural, and it allowed him to trust God. And he prayed that his servant would see the supernatural, so he would learn to trust God. So let me ask you again, have you ever seen the supernatural? Because I have. I see it every Sunday when I stand on this stage. I think back to January 10th, 2011, when five families met in my living room. It snowed eight inches that day. I was afraid nobody was even going to come. And I said, guys, I think God wants us to start a church in this community that will reach people and impact hurting people in the community. But I don't know if anyone will come. they all said, man, we don't know if anyone will come either. But if you're in, we're in, and maybe God will move. Every time I stand on this stage, I see the supernatural. I see what God has done from a group of small families to a church of hundreds and hundreds of people now. I saw the supernatural last Sunday. It's 53 people raised their hand or stood to their feet or took a card back to the next steps table that said, today I chose to put my belief in Jesus for eternal life and for the rest of this life. I saw the supernatural as I talked with people who in tears began to tell me their story. And I talked to people from our church who told me the story of other people. I heard from one of the people in our church Sunday afternoon that they had invited someone to church who forgot it was Easter, stayed out all night party until 6 a.m., got home at 6 a.m., realized it was Easter, drove an hour to get to the 9 a.m. service and gave their life to Jesus at the end of the 9 a.m. service. That's supernatural. That's not natural. That's supernatural. I saw the supernatural in Spin Pizza this Wednesday when I was having dinner with one of the families from our church and in walked somebody wearing a best day ever Journey Church International shirt symbolizing that they'd given their life to Jesus on Easter and now they were wearing that testimony on their chest out in public. See, I see the supernatural all the time. I see the supernatural every day when I go to the building after the construction workers leave. And I go pray in our building, which I do almost every day. And I walk the parking lot and pray, which I do almost every day. And I think about what God is doing in our church for our community. I see the supernatural. But the Bible says that the natural sees the supernatural through the eyes of the heart, not through the eyes in your head. So some of you think I've never seen any flaming chariots. I've never seen any flaming horses. I've never seen anyone from heaven. It's because you're looking with the wrong eyes. Because if you'd start looking with your heart, you'd see Jesus everywhere. In Ephesians 1.18, the Apostle Paul said this to a church in Ephesus that he had started and then left and wrote a letter to. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. The hope to which God has called you in the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul said, I pray that your eyes are open so you can know the answers to all the questions you have in life by putting a supernatural belief in Jesus. You see, a journey with Jesus reveals the deepest answers in your soul, but you have to be willing to follow Jesus because Following jesus is not just a decision. It's a direction and you learn as you go you experience more as you follow So the question is what do we learn from today's miracle man? We learn a lot from today's miracle Some real practical things I want to share with you today I hope maybe you can hang on to one of them in your soul They can give you hope this week until you come back next week to learn more number one We learn if jesus is in the house your problem has a solution Man, when Jesus is in the house, your problem has a solution. On this day, Jesus was in the house. He was at a wedding that probably scholars think one of his relatives was having. If you ever go to Israel with me, I'll take you to Cana in Galilee, Cana in Galilee is about an hour walk from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. It's about an hour drive from the Sea of Galilee where Jesus based his ministry. You can go and buy wedding wine in Cana of Galilee today. They have a roadside stand. Cana, wedding, wine. I don't think it was the stuff Jesus created in John chapter 2. If it is, it's a heck of a vintage because it's about 2,000 years old. But, but you can go and buy wine today in Cana of Galilee. And the fact not only that Jesus' family was there, but that his mother appeared to have some kind of charge over the refreshments meant that probably one of Jesus' family members was getting married. Jesus' family was in charge of helping put on the festivities. A wedding would not last for a day, it would last for an entire week. Some of you mothers of the bride are thinking, oh dear God, I can barely get through the day. I can't imagine a week of wedding um, celebration, but they did. And somewhere in the course of this week, they ran out of food, which would have been publicly humiliating to Jesus' entire family that you would have this festival you couldn't support. It would have proved how poor they truly were. Could have been humiliating. But Jesus was in the house. And Mary came to him and said, Jesus, we ran out of wine. And it's interesting because his answer, his dialogue doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He said, my, my time hasn't come yet. But that didn't really bother Mary. She didn't get in an argument with him. She didn't start crying. He said, my time hasn't come yet. But she was cool with that. Because here's the reality. Mary didn't have to know what Jesus would do as long as she had confidence in what Jesus could do. And Jesus went to, Mary went to Jesus and said, we're out of wine, I don't know what to do. And Jesus really didn't answer her question, but she looked at all the servants and said, listen, I don't need to know what Jesus is going to do. I just need to know what Jesus can do. Just do whatever he tells you. It tells us that sometimes we don't have to know all the answers in order to follow Jesus and that if we follow Jesus, we'll find the answers. She said, just do whatever He tells you. And when it comes to spiritual things, I've learned the correct question is not what's the answer, it's who's the answer. Because Mary said, I'm not sure what Jesus is going to do. I'm not sure if he's going to drive down the mountain and grab. some. I'm not sure if he's going to go borrow from him. An... I don't know what he's going to do, but I know this. Jesus never does nothing. You should write that down. Jesus never does nothing. I don't even think that's correct, the correct English in the way to say that. But Jesus never does nothing. And she knew as long as Jesus is in the house, this is going to get figured out. So let me ask you a question. Is Jesus in your house? Is there any room in your house for Jesus? Is there any space in your week for Jesus? Is there any time in your day for Jesus? Is there any place at your work or your office for Jesus? Is there any room in your car for Jesus? Is there any room in your conversation or your marriage or your parenting for Jesus? Because if Jesus is in the house, you have the, you have the solution to your problem. Because Philippians 4.19 says that God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So if Jesus is in the house, you have the solution to your problem, but you have to do whatever he tells you. I find this interesting. Mary went to Jesus and said, can you help? And he said, I'm not sure. And she looked at everyone around him and she said, whatever he says, do it. I'm not sure how all this is going to turn out, but whatever Jesus says, do it. I promise you it'll be better than if we don't do it. Because the reality is when you're aware of what jesus could do You're motivated to do all you can do spiritually You say what does that mean for me christian? What, what does it mean that I need to do all that I can do? Well, let me ask you this question. What empty things in your life can be filled? What are the empty things in your life that can be filled so that jesus can use them or jesus can use you when my little girl casey was in preschool, is Casey in this service? I haven't been able. She's sitting right there. When she was three, her preschool teacher called us and said, "I need to meet with you and Danielle after school regarding your daughter." Um, now we've had those calls about our son, um, but we never had those calls about our daughters. So we're like, "What did Casey do wrong?" So we go after preschool. We meet Casey's teacher, um, and she said, "I've got a problem. I need your help with." And we said, "Okay, what's that?" Um, And they said, Casey's been having all her friends do her work in class while she just colors. And we said, okay. So we, you know, pulled our little three-year-old Casey aside and said, Casey, babe, why are you you having all your friends do your work? And she said, because they know all the answers. And I thought, you know, I mean, that is a good answer. I mean, that's the wrong, probably don't want to do that, but that, that is a good answer. We said, well, Casey, why, why don't you do the work so you can find the answers? And I remember her little three-year-old face looking up at her smile, and she said, because I want to play. Like, I don't want to work. I want to I play. I have found that most Christians want to put about the least amount of spiritual effort into things they can and hope Jesus does all the work for them because they want to play. And I find what, what we want to do is we want to do the very least we can to experience the very best from Jesus so that we can play. We want to come the fewest times on Sunday that we can possibly come because we're t- we want to sleep. We want to put in the least amount of time spiritually that we can put in because we, we can use time to get extra work done. We want to put in the very least amount of time because we want to go fishing or we want to go hunting or we want to go play golf. We want to put in the very least amount of time that we can because we want to work hard with our kids so they can get a scholarship to go to college or at the very least we want them to be on a team of people that makes us feel socially accepted in the group of parents that we want to be in if we could just get honest. We want to, because it's it's the American way, do the very least to get the very most. We want that in our marriages. We want to have great marriages, but we do not want to take time to go on dates and take a weekend away and celebrate important moments. We want to have great families, but we don't want to take time to go on vacation or ever say no to something else so we can sit down and eat a meal together at home together. Hey, we all want to be in shape without having to eat well or ever work out, right? I mean, that's an easy one. We want to have a great job where we can make good money but never really be asked to work too hard and certainly never be called when it's outside our 40-hour window. Great job, great pay with the least amount of time possible. We want to have a great savings and retirement plan while spending every dollar of our paycheck and more on a credit card and just thinking we'll figure it out later. In our relationships, we want to make sure we've got people who will always be there for us when we need them. So we put in just the least amount of relational time we can so they're there when we need them. It's not really a spiritual problem. It's a life problem. That DNA pours over into our relationship with Jesus and we want to do the least amount possible to get the most amount of blessing that Jesus can possibly give us. But John chapter 2 shows us this fact that the supernatural from Jesus meets the natural at the final effort of the natural. To put it another way, Jesus says, you do everything you can do, and then when you are done doing everything you can do, at the last step of natural effort, the supernatural power from me will kick in, and something supernatural will happen to give you an answer. Did you see this story and what Jesus asked his servants to do? Mary said, we're out of wine, but do whatever he says. Jesus told the servants, go get some water. We skip that part. There, the Bible says that there were six stone water jars nearby that each held 20 to 30 gallons. We skip that part, realizing that Jesus actually made 180 gallons of wine. If you want to have a party, invite Jesus. He knows how to party. Uh, you know, and, and in these days, right, Jesus didn't say, go get the hose, fill these things up. Jesus didn't say, turn on the sink. You know, an orange Gatorade bucket like you see on the sidelines, those hold about five gallons these stone pitchers would have probably been this tall. They would have weighed hundreds of pounds. They didn't take the pitchers to the water and come back. They probably, one gallon at a time, walked outside the city. They moved the stone that was in front of the well, and they probably pulled up 180 gallons of water, one gallon at a time, in a bucket, sloshing half of it out. Poured it. This would have taken them all day, if not several days to do. And without knowing what was happening, when they finished doing everything they could do, Jesus did his thing and it changed everything. You see, what Jesus was trying to help people understand is that he wants to help us learn through our spiritual effort how to find out who he is and how to find out how to trust him. Because if we will learn those things, we will learn the answers to so many more problems than what we're currently facing. I think Casey got my kind of academic DNA when I was in college. I don't know how you were, but every time I had a test in school, here's how I wanted the teacher to prepare me for that test. The night before the test, I wanted them to give me the test. That I could take on like the exact test, so I can memorize the answers. And go back and get an A. That was my goal. So I was, oh, could you make me a pretest? test So some of our teachers had study guides. And I remember one teacher in particular would give us our study guide. And they would say, okay, if you if you know all the answers on this study guide, you're going to do well on the test. And if you can't find an answer, come to me at the end of class, and I'll help you find it. So I took the study guide. Everything that I knew from my head, I filled in the answers. And then I remember going to my teacher's desk and saying, here, can you give me the rest of the answers? And I said, Christian, did you even try to find the answers? I said, no, these are all that I knew, but can you can you give me the rest? And and I remember our professor said, no, I I can't give you the rest, but here's what I'm going to do. There's a study group that meets tonight, and this study group will show you how to find all those answers, and then I want you to come back and tell me how you did on the test. So I went to the study group that night. It was out of my way. It was an annoyance. I learned how to find answers to the questions within the textbooks, the resources, the notes that we had. And I ended up getting I think a hundred on the test and he came up to me the week after the test said How'd you do I said I did great and he said see here's what i'm trying to teach you He said i'm not trying to teach you The answers to one test I'm trying to teach you a process that helps you find the answers to every test you'll take for the rest of your life But no, it's going to take a little more effort than what you've been putting in And jesus jesus could have just Created wine out of nothing. He created food out of nothing But he wanted to teach people, if you will obey me and do what I say and you will work really, really hard, at the end of your natural effort, I'm going to step in and I'm going to perform a miracle. And the reality is this, you have massive spiritual capacity for Jesus. There were 180 gallons of capacity that could have been had in the house. And Jesus found it and said, let's fill it up. You have massive spiritual capacity for Jesus in your heart, in your home, in your work, in your habits. You can have more of Jesus in your life. But the reality is this, the spiritual effort to get more of Jesus is going to be more than you imagined. It's not what some of us want to hear. We want to come to church, get everything we need, and be done. Just like we want to work out one time a week and and be in great shape. And you know why we want to work about 28 hours a, a week and get paid well. Doesn't work that way. Your spiritual effort is going to be more than you imagined. However, your spiritual blessing will be more than you imagined. So the question then isn't even a question of, of really theology, the question isn't a spiritual question, the question is an effort question. Is the second truth worth the first? Or put another way, let me say it this way Is greater spiritual blessing than you ever imagined in your life worth more spiritual effort than you've ever put forth in your life? Many people honestly say, No, I don't have time. But we keep finding our way back at Christmas and Easter. And at the bottom of the valley and at the top of the mountain. And Jesus said, The answer's here all along. I promise you, if you push forward, I'll meet you at the end. So we have to ask ourselves a question what empty thing in your spiritual life needs to be filled? So, what, what do you mean by that? Well, can you learn to see what Jesus sees and use what Jesus used? In order to grow closer to Jesus. Because we actually have that template. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four guys that wrote stories about the life and ministry of Jesus. And later in the book of Acts. Written by a man named Luke. We see how Jesus connected people to himself. And to spiritual answers. In their spiritual journey. At our church we, we kind of call these things the four E's. Because when you read through scripture. There were four buckets that Jesus used. That if you filled these buckets. You found your life filled with Jesus. The first was weekly Uh, Weekly worship, a worship experience. The Bible says in Acts 2 that the people would meet on the very first day of the week, that was Sunday, and they would sing songs and they would have an apostle stand up and teach them something from the Bible. So we said, okay, that's one way to get filled with Jesus. Let's do that. Let's have church on Sunday. The Bible also says that after that, the people would meet in each other's homes during the week and they would share meals and they would talk about spiritual things. That's another bucket. We call that um, engaging in relationships through small groups and becoming friends with other Christians that you can talk to spiritual, talk to about spiritual things. And then in Acts 6 and 7, we see that any time the church had a need, the people embraced serving. Every time there was a need, the church would say, who can help? And everyone said, oh, I'm in. And the Apostle Paul even taught people, learn what you're good at, learn what you're gifted at, learn what you're made to do and just do those things because the kingdom of God needs all of those areas. And then finally, we learned through the rest of the New Testament that people were equipped with personalized spiritual growth plans, which means every person that was written to in the New Testament and every church that was written to in the New Testament was spoken to on their spiritual level with their spiritual next steps. So we said, how do we help our church step into a journey with Jesus? We ask them to get really involved Sunday in church and to make that a priority to make time For that We ask them to get engaged in small groups We ask them to embrace serving and we ask them to equip themselves with a plan that they can grow spiritually You know some of you you look at those four e's and you say okay i'm doing that what's next if you're not doing that There's your steps You say I want to step into jesus. How do I do that? Do the ones you're not doing start coming to church if you're not coming to church more faithfully Get engaged in a small group, sign up for how that works and get in one in the fall. Start serving, just sign up and say, okay, what do you need and how how can I help? And then if you're doing all of those things, you have to say, okay, what's next for me? And what's interesting, if you're coming to church in a small group and serving, your next great spiritual step is really learning to read and understand the word of God. In 2007, a church in Chicago, Illinois issued a study that they said was the most comprehensive study on spiritual growth that's ever been done in a large church. And here's what they found after 25 years in their church They said the common denominator among people who grow spiritually Is reflection on scripture and time reading the bible Which is why last fall I said i'm praying that this year a hundred people will join me in reading the bible completely through in a year Do you know that if you read your bible 12 minutes a day? 12 minutes a day for 365 days that you'll read the Bible completely through from Genesis 1-1 to the last verse of Revelation chapter 22. Every word that God has written, you can read by reading 12 minutes a day or 70 hours in a year. It's three or four chapters a day. You can read everything that God has written. So I said, I want 100 people this year to challenge themselves to read through the Bible with me. I've read through the Bible every year since I've been married, 16 years. I have 16 Bibles sitting on a bookshelf at home that I've read every word of and I'm going through it again now because it's how I get to know who Jesus is and I learn the answers to the questions that I have so in the back we've got this little one year Bible reading plan laying at the next steps areas and as you leave for those of you who say I want to do that Jesus can have 12 minutes of my day and I'll try to read through the Bible we literally tell you what to read every day from April 15th of this year from April 14th of next year which is Easter week which means between Easter of this year and Easter of next year you can read the entire Bible and I promise you, you'll find more answers to your spiritual questions than anything that you've ever had in your life. Why? Because of number three. Here's what we learn at the end of this miracle. Greater revelation equals greater belief. Say, what does that mean? It means this. The more you know about Jesus, the more you believe in Jesus. In, chapter, in John chapter 2, verse 11, John wrapped up by saying this. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples... Believed in him. Here's what I find interesting. I read that this week and I thought John didn't speak about himself John didn't say I saw Jesus do this and I believe more John spoke as an outsider John said I watched the people who were following Jesus Go deeper with Jesus and it changed the way they believed I can tell they believe more. Let me ask you a question Do your friends believe that you believe Are your friends watching your journey with Jesus and watching you go deeper? And do they believe that you're serious about your faith? Do they believe that you believe in Jesus deeply? You know why I personally think a lot of people who don't go to church don't believe that Jesus has the answers to all their questions? Because they know Christians who don't believe Jesus has the answers to all their questions. Because they know people who call themselves Christians who do not follow Jesus and are not deep enough with Him To have experienced his truth in their life. But not us. We don't want that to be us. We want to be different. We want to be deeper. We want to go deeper. We want to experience more. So here's what I'm asking our church as we move out of Easter and towards Mother's Day. There's a little card in your bulletin that says my next steps. I want everyone right now to reach for this and pull it out. Just look at it. Even if you're not going to mark it, I want you to have this in your hand. Because as we move out of easter we don't want to just ask you to make a decision about jesus We want to give you direction about jesus And every person in this room has a next step spiritually That's going to unveil a little more of who jesus is in their life You need to figure out what your next step is and you need to at least be willing to sign up to talk about it Checking a box on this form doesn't mean that you're going to do this tomorrow But it says I realize this is my next step Help me understand how this works so if you're in here and you're a Christian, but you've never been baptized, that's your next step. You say, how do I know if I haven't been baptized? If you ask that question, check that box. I promise you, you'll know if you've been baptized. Maybe you're in here and you're just coming back to the faith and you just want to get your head around it again. We offer, I think, one of the coolest things in our church called Starting Point. It's a four-week class that meets during the 9 a.m. service that's literally just like Christianity 101. It just kind of... Gives you everything you need to know about the basics of christianity in four week pastor ryan holt teaches that and it's awesome We just had a couple go through this that sent pastor ryan an email and said the starting point Was truly a starting point for us and that it was the first spiritual experience my husband and I had together We both had very different experiences and backgrounds with the church and religion going through starting point together Helped us find ourselves and each other on the same page with similar goals Headed in the same direction with our family in tow. And behind me, I think you see Melissa and Brandon and their child. The small class size, the personable leadership helped my husband and I feel comfortable from the start. Overall, the starting point was a great experience for each of us as individuals, as a marriage and family unit. We're thankful for the fellowship and teachings and would recommend it to Christians new, old, and uncertain. So that class has about 15 spots in it. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe you're not in small groups yet. It's time to get engaged. They really probably don't fire up for you again until September, but we'll call you. Maybe you need to start serving. So it's gonna be a busy summer, Christian. I'm gonna be out of town a lot. We hit the lake. My kids play sports. I got it. Sign up to serve and start in August or start in September. We get it. But we also want you to get it spiritually. We don't want you to just decide on Jesus. We want you to follow Jesus. And if you're doing all these and you've done these, I want you to write in here that I wanna read the Bible. And as you leave pick up one of these guides And for some reason if you don't get it we'll email you one before you get out of here But start a journey reading the bible with me Because the big idea of john chapter 2 and the answers that we are looking for in life is this If we will do the natural Then we can expect the supernatural But if you don't study for your test and expect to make an a it doesn't work that way And if you don't work out hard and you expect to make the team it doesn't work that way And if you don't put away money every time you get paid and then expect to have retirement, it doesn't work that way. And if you are not willing to lean into your faith, but you think you're going to get to know Jesus more, it doesn't work that way. But if you will do the natural, do the things in your life to fill up the empty spaces, then man, when we put Jesus in and around us, I don't know know if he spoke over it, I don't know if he touched it, I don't know what he did to change it. But I know that when we fill our life with Jesus, It changes us. I just know that's the way it happens. If you will do the natural, you can begin to expect the supernatural as you follow Jesus. Would you pray with me?